Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Put simply, Cat Machen is here to fill your social feed with space art. But there's a lot more going on than just the incredibly sought-after pieces that do a wonderful job capturing the beauty of stars, nebulas, superbubbles, and other parts of the universe. After a substantial career in the video game industry, Cat made a major life change. She left a job learnt art and now has taken on a new mission to bring the joy and knowledge of the cosmos to everyone. How successful has she been in this recent mission? Well, Cat owns no less than the record as Australia's highest crowd-funded artist of all time and has a client waitlist that stretches around the globe. Cat was gracious enough to chat to us recently about many things, including how big a geeky influence her family was on her growing up, despite the many gaming grievances Cat still holds with her brother, how stressful the video game industry can be, the success and resulting explosion of her artistic career, and how she managed to get her brother a tour of SpaceX, which is an incredible story in its own right. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The Diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it. It'd work nicely with vinegar. Kat and I were both incredibly professional to start before the swearies found their way in. Some adult language or content, please be careful around younger audiences. Thank you very much to Franku and the Diva for the rating. Now, normally at the end of our intros, we have a couple of set statements, but this episode is found at the tail end of some heartbreaking news. On the 16th of August, Kat announced on her social feeds the unfortunate news that her father had fallen ill. The state of the COVID world further complicated familial visits, and a couple of days later, uh, the announcement was made of his passing. It's been said there are only two lasting bequeaths we can hope to give our children. One is their roots, the other, wings. During our chat, Kat recalled some incredible stories of her relationship with her dad, and it's obvious that they left an incredible impression and helped make Kat who she is today. Someone who is bringing wonderful art to the world with an incredible social message and is making a change for the good. That's a pretty impressive legacy to leave. So to Kat and the Machen family, we here at Release the Geek extend our deepest and heartfelt condolences at this time. The next pour is for you. And now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release the geek with Cat Machen. And now, we're releasing the geek. What is your profession? I'm going to make, it might be a safe assumption, Cat, that you're a geek. What was your path to geekdom? How did it start for you? Well, it started with the Big Bang. Is and that where we're going back to? <laughs> you wanted to start at the beginning, do we, right? <laughs> do we start? Do we start with the Big Bang? Th- Are we going to go uh, through the entire song? Uh, yeah. We built exactly. the pyramids. I'm no. I'm just kidding. Uh, and then we went through rapid, rapid expansion. Uh, <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, I think for, as a child, so mm. actually, realistically, my passion about space more specifically started about seven, I would say, uh, or at mm-hmm. least that's my first real strong memory. Mm-hmm. I um, 
I was out um, watching the Perseid meteor shower with my, my oh, parents right. in our back yeah, our backyard in the UK, okay. mm-hmm. in uh, Stoke-on-Trent. Um, it was amazing that it wasn't Cosmopolitan Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> I just remember it consistently being grey. I don't right. remember sky, like patches of... Yeah, anyway. So uh, I'm sure we didn't actually see any uh, uh, meteors because, I, I mean, so much light pollution, I wasn't aware of it back then. But um, what I did see was the moon and my dad's mm-hmm. big old like 70s binoculars and they sort of smelt like old leather. You know, the, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were heavy, big, solid glass things. They weighed a ton and right. no stabilization. So they were very, sh- very shaky. <laughs> Looking at this moon and mm-hmm. uh, I just remember, I think I was just captivated by it. And, uh, right. and I think even before that, my my mom was super super into um, just any sort of documentary. We'd watch everything. So even though I, I I'm very very dyslexic actually. So as oh. a kid, I wasn't I wouldn't say I was like super academic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was and I wasn't. I was in certain things. Certainly not in English. <laughs> It was actually very late on that I started mm. reading, which is interesting. Was science um, and uh, uh, I'm guessing it's science and nature documentaries that that your mum would have watched. Were your parents science nature people? Were they uh, scientifically inclined? What was their background? So my dad was a mechanic, and he ah. was amazing. He would come back with like he would just invent stuff. He'd be like. Here's a little would you really do for doing a thing in Midvig. And That's then very cool. he'd just come and he'd just come back with like all these weird contraptions to do stuff. He's like, ah, oh, I've just invented a gutter cleaner. And you're like, <laughs> what is that, Dad? <laughs> so he was cool. like Yeah, he was like um oh, you know that Wallace and Gromit style inventory, yes. crazy contraption y sort of thing. That that mm-hmm. was my dad. Um That's very cool. And and my mum, she she was like a gardener and just very, very interested in like any, any natural sciences. She was like, back in the time when, when we just had like a TV, one TV in the house, one screen, and right. we all shared it. <laughs> and she'd get that newspaper and they'd have the TV times and she'd circle all these different nature documentaries. And then I just remember like, my mum calling up to say, Catherine, like, come to, it's on! <laughs> you had to like, run downstairs and watch it together. Mm-hmm. So that's my childhood. And then um, I think the other big geeky influence was actually my brother, who's eight years older than me and was massively into computers. I, mm-hmm. I think it was that, I would actually say that computers probably saved his life because yeah, I think his teacher once said, which is an awful thing to say to anybody, but his teacher once said to him, you're either going to be a millionaire or, or in prison, because he was very dyslexic, not academic, got in with the wrong crowd because right. he was graded quite low. And then, you know, he was probably doing stuff to fit in, but mm-hmm. was very <laughs> influenced by the people around him, right. as kids are when they're young. So. Um, but the one thing that saved him was he had this massive interest in computers. And I think my dad was just like, great, it's not bad. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> so it, as a kid, mm-hmm. I was going to say, like as a kid, I had, we had always had computers around, which I think was a massive privilege because I, th- I think not many, it's a weird thing to say now, isn't it? But not many kids grow up with computers. I, I remember growing up. 
Yeah. With no computers around. Uh, all right, so then I'm gonna throw to you first uh, the question about the computers. What's the first computer you remember uh, playing on, tinkering with? Um, honestly, I know that I had computers before then, but I didn't really have a good memory of them. But the 386 was really yeah. my my first proper one. Gotcha. And it had those big, those big five and a half inch floppy disk. Yep. Sort of got this big chunk arm that comes in, <laughs> and then then it swirls up. Um, mm. And when when floppy disks were actually floppy, floppy as well. Yeah. There's a there was an interesting there's an interesting thing here in South Africa that uh, you've got your five and a quarter floppies. Uh, I mean, you even had the eight-inch floppies before that. But um, in South Africa, they call the three and a half-inch disc. While it is a floppy disc, they call it a stiffy because the case is hard. I, it is to my eternal frustration that I try to correct them. It's like, no, 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 no. It is still a floppy disc. The disc is you slide it up. It's floppy. But uh, oh my god! Yeah, so the entire hilarious. country refers to three and a half inch discs as stiffies. It's like, do you, do people not? What the hell? <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, a, a frustration I that. that I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh but I, I can I can remember sliding the disc in, swinging the arm down to make sure it's yeah. there, and, and pushing it in to make sure that it's red. All right, so you and. Did you, what were you doing there? Were you doing uh, like a bit of coding, uh, playing games? What what, uh, what were you doing? Play, play, probably playing Lemmings. Do you remember that game? <laughs> I remember <laughs> <Lemmings>. <laughs> They're all like walk and fall yeah. off a cliff. And, and blow that up. Was, that That's was, the one I remember. Yeah, I, I remember like there's so many good games from back mm, then. Um, yeah. Like we did have like old computers back in my school. There was one school, we had like a computer which just had like a, it was just gr a green screen with like weird fabric over it. I remember that. I think like <laughs> weird fabric. no one went. Yeah, I think it was because they didn't have a diffuser over the screen like we did right. you now. It's like, oh, so right. Like, okay, gotcha. And like no one in the class wanted to touch that one because it was old. <laughs> it wasn't even that old, right? right. But no one, sure. used, no one used them. And we would do like the very basic like programming stuff, but like very basic. We was thinking, there was this, there was this uh, game called Pog where it was like Pog mm -hmm. turn left and it's a little thing that, and then you can draw so it's right. like some sort of like yeah, so uh, that's really my beginnings with computers, and mm. and then I think we we like there like because I, I would just basically follow. I used to follow my brother like a bad smell. <laughs> so you know, I played all of his games. So I ne sure. I never really did like the fluffy games. I mean, we were playing like way too young, like Duke Nukem and like Doom, uh -huh. uh, the old old Doom. That was yep. great. Yes, and yeah, all of those kind of things. Uh, first person shoot em ups, <laughs> or third person shoot em ups in some cases. Wolfenstein. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I basically, because I was too young, I didn't really understand the premise of the game. So I just mm -hmm. used to go around and, and eat dog food. That was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> my brother was like, that's uh, not how you play it. I'm like, I'm eating all of the dog food. I went just like every room and, and then I'd run away from monsters and eat dog food. It <laughs> needed to be an achievement. It needed to be an achievement. No kills. 100% dog food. Right, 100%, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> um, so I grew up with this stuff and um, I my first proper, proper game, a, a job was in video games. I was a video game, mm. I made special effects, yeah. Is So the, the computer influence is gonna be very strong, your brother, 
and all the way through school there's computers there yeah. and it just seemed the natural progression i'm going to go into into this yeah i remember when we used to get pirated software on a cd <laughs> and <laughs> it's weird think, talking about this because i think the normal. statute of limitations is over we can talk about what we did i was uh, well, a you know. uh, i was a fan of uh, the tsr dungeons and dragons games mm. and so you would awesome. need to have not only would you get the pirated disc, but then you'd also get a stack of photocopies of the manual because <laughs> the the right protection, you needed to enter the fourth word from the third sentence on this I page. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And that then the, the wheels. Did. The wheels where <laughs> yeah. you had to line this symbol up on the outside rim with the symbol that you see on the screen, which revealed in this window here what the keyword... <laughs> Dude, yeah. kids would not understand that today, but no. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it just means it, we're old. Damn, um, <laughs> official. But I used to love that stuff. And my brother got into making 3D artwork okay. at very young. And right. um, me being – and also, like, just to – I've got to tell this story because I feel Please. like I have a, gr a grievance that needs to be aired about my brother. Um, does he, does he, has he heard this before? Is this new? Well, he's going to hear it now, for sure. Um, we used to play video games together, and then mm -hmm. he would give me one, because I was more, I was eight years younger, so I was totally inept, but he would mm -hmm. give me one key to press on the keyboard, and it would be the health key. And uh -huh. I would have to, if he was if he was dying, I'd have to press it. Right. And if he died, he would blame me. Because you didn't hit the key quick enough. Right. I have a grievance. I just wanted to air that, because right. that's shady. It was yeah, it is. Playing. It is. That's that's uh, transference of guilt. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not your it's not your fault that he walked into a room with uh, multiple shotguns. Right. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So I just have to get that off my chest. So thank you. Oh, happy um, happiness. What's your brother's name? <laughs> Charles. Charles. Poor form. The one poor form. Poor form. Poor form. Poor form. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I, I told I, I have told him about that. He says he's, he denies okay. all knowledge. Your mental scars, you carry these with you. You remember these things. 100%. I, I, uh, I'm still in therapy for it today. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into the um, computer realm, you've now... Uh, the So the artwork aspect, he was doing 3D design. And yeah, so is that where your art starts coming into it? Yeah, I mean, I, actually, my, my my very first art piece I made, uh, I was probably about five or six. I, I was young anyway, mm -hmm. around that age. And uh, my brother had taught me how to do, like, 3D shading. Like, whilst oh, wow. all my friends were still doing the, the head with the two legs and two sticky arms, yeah. I was doing shading because my brother, whenever, whenever we went to my nan's house, we had, uh -huh. like, a ninja hero, heroes turtles whatever it's called sure. depending on country location yeah. one of those books and then he would show me how to shade he would never mm. let me color in on the ones that he was doing because i would literally butcher it there was one time i did and he was like you ruined it <laughs> um he but can then I, was doing, I, I know I, I i'm gonna get them all out by the end of this <laughs> um but I remember doing a picture and in the UK when it was, it often rains, of course, always bloody raining, but then you'd have to do like playtime inside. Mm -hmm. um, so you didn't get 
totally drenched. You can be out in the playground. So we, we'd do a drawings. And I, I did this sketch. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, I saw whatever. And I scrunched it up and threw it in the bin. And then, you know, and then I just thought nothing of it. And then I got called to the teacher's office. And I was like, oh, shit, I am in trouble. Because what I had actually drawn was like a mechanized robot holding a human head with like a spine and blood dropping down his arm. Um, and I was like, I am done for. Counseling. Oh my God. Counseling's required. And my teacher opened it up mm-hmm. and was like, Did you draw this? And I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, The shading is amazing. I don't know how you've done this. And I was just like, I have just got out. I I would have thought it would have been a trip to the counseling for the for the the spine. I thought I thought I was done for. I thought I was done for sure. Right. Um, Never mentioned the fact that it was like gratuitous violence, but was very (laughs) impressed with the art skills. And I think I think from that I think from that point, I was like, oh. That's what I liked my art. I think that was my first time when I was, I was, mm-hmm. I was like, had some appreciation. I thought it was kind of cool. Right. Um, but, you know, so when my brother was making 3D objects, he was really keen on teaching me and showing me. So I was That's this, cool. I was nine, 10 year old kid making 3D models, but I would do like what a nine year old would be interested in. So I would build like a tank, but it'd have like an ice cream hatch on the back because. Battlefield ice creams, of course. It's it's important. You know. Yeah, it's important. And like Treats th- are important. In 3D Studio Max, uh, you it just has a default object, which is a teapot, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So everything was covered in teapots. It would be a dinosaur <laughs> holding a teapot in his mouth and so uh-huh. on. So um, by the time I got to, uh, so we do like a work experience at high school mm-hmm. um, or um, depending on where someone uh, – uh, age 15 something yeah. like that 14 mm-hmm. 15 um so i actually did my work experience in a video game studio because that's when my brother was then working um mm-hmm. and uh i was making like for the very first warhammer game um warhammer yes. Prime, yeah i did like barrels and skulls for warhammer online yeah legit what was um, now that's that's gw so it's games workshop but it was it wasn't Games Workshop's development studio. Who did the Who did the original game? So uh, that was a third party uh, contractor uh-huh. called Climax Entertainment, which right. was great. We've got these T shirts that said Climax, and you'd walk into shops, and old ladies would go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> "It's <laughs> not what we mean." <laughs> not that. Uh-huh. I'm sure it was meant to be a pun or something. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I did a work experience there, and that was just amazing. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I got to see the inner workings. of, And it was, it was very much a game studio, as you can imagine. Like, all the characters that – it's funny. You go into almost any game studio in the world, and you'll find the same characters <laughs> in every studio. I, mm. I love that. So, wow. um, yeah. So and, your, first, um, your first bit of industry experience in the computer industry – is working on the original Warhammer computer games. Yeah, I didn't know what significance it was at that point in my life. Yeah, that's, a, that's some serious nerd cred. <laughs> right. That's some serious nerd cred. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and so I obviously went through my, I then went and studied engineering um, okay. at, at university because I was trying to avoid being an artist. Um <laughs> 
I don't know who tries to rebel against being an artist by doing engineering, but I now realize yeah. looking back that that's like the total, most people try to rebel against being an engineer by doing art, <laughs> not me. <laughs> yes, I'm going to study 17th century French language. <laughs> yeah. That sort of thing. I remember my first lecture. My first lecture was like, so you think you're here for engineering, but the physics is maths, the maths is maths, the thermofluids is maths, basically. <laughs> You're doing a maths degree. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Um, no, I didn't. I'll uh-huh. be honest. I was just too cool. naturally creative. Um, I, and also, I was just so excited about being out of home and the, the ability to get drunk and party was well in full swing for me. Mm-hmm. And act. And do you know what the weirdest thing is now? Is that? that I I became a DJ because I. I partied so hard. I was like, someone needs to uh, pay me to do this. How <laughs> can I get paid and do this? Can someone buy my drinks for it me? Is a, it is a great okay. path to entrepreneurialism. I want to do a thing, but I want somebody to pay me to do it. Right. I was mm-hmm. like, I want to choose the music as well. Music is rubbish. <laughs> no, I, did, I didn't say that. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. But I became a DJ, and actually, funnily enough, it was learning to promote, uh, you know, uh-huh. DJ events, club nights, interact, become, I was definitely not a celebrity or any sort of influential person then, but sure. in, in, tra- in a sense, it was training for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, which is, which is basically actually the main thing I got out of university, to be fair, was right. uh, the party life. And that has been the most beneficial thing you never can understand the the benefits of doing some of these extracurricular activities, even though my extracurricular activities involved getting drunk. I do have a funny story about that. <laughs> we have time. I will make time, please. <laughs> so <laughs> they, at one point, I, I DJed at the student, Students' Union, and at one mm-hmm. point um, – they said to me that they were ban- that we had a new like head of the union come in. So, student- right. so and it was it's Loughborough University. It was the biggest campus university in the UK, massively known for engineering and sport. And it was basically an entire, almost like a city in one place, like right. a university. It was great. So the the club was massive. Like with there's like five rooms and it fit like nearly I don't know God five six thousand people. It was a lot. Jeez, right. big big events. And uh, this new guy came and then started and he decided that um, it was irresponsible for DJs to drink and then DJs should be totally sober um, for health and safety or whatever. Uh, anyway, of course, I was okay. not in that. I was not in that meeting. <laughs> so I just continued to drink <laughs> and I got called into uh, uh-huh. got called into a meeting at room and he said, look, <clears throat> I heard you got drunk. Uh, can you tell me? one job where it's acceptable to get drunk on the job. And I was like, yeah, DJing. DJing. <laughs> and you're like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> that or darts, I th- professional darts player. I think those would be the only two. Or podcast host. Yeah. I'm sure there are podcasts. That's true. Yeah, yeah, podcast hosts exactly. can do it as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so th- this, is, this has created this mel- – it's almost like giving you this really interesting melange of skills that there's – there's computers and artwork from a young age into mm-hmm. exposures into engineering with your parents giving you uh, some 
some science-y type influences and an interest there. And then the, the DJ aspect and falling into the promotions aspect, all of this just combines together. It's like, well, what do I do next with all of these things? Of course, absolutely. So I ended up in the video games industry. Um, mm -hmm. I went and did like a work experience, uh, just like a summer job in right. my last year at uni. And they said, don't go back. And I was like, great. <laughs> so, I so I left and I started my, my I, then I spent a decade in video games, making video games. So How many credits um, short were you? Just to let me know. Just how many credits short? I've got literally no idea. I was far too drunk to know any of that stuff. Um, but I did pass. I did pass a bunch. Oh, of excellent! Stuff. Okay, good. Good. So, um, but not not because I put any effort in. And please, I just don't recommend anybody do what I did. Um, sorry, sorry, mum. Despite sorry, all no. your success, do not do the thing that I did. Well, actually, maybe it did turn out in the end. But you know, I would say it's not <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a role model. Let's put it's it that way. It's not a position to advocate. Okay, we got you. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I started and I, I did all sorts of different games, um, eventually moving to, um, Australia and the last game I worked on that finished me off was mm -hmm. Warhammer 40 K. So I wow. feel like Warhammer's book ended my yeah. whole life. <laughs> and it would have been a vastly different game from the oh, one you yes. worked on. Yeah. Yeah, and also mm -hmm. vastly different positions because when I started in the industry, I basically mm -hmm. made special effects and I did rigging, which is, you know, you mm -hmm. get a character, get bones, you attach the mesh to the bones so you can animate. Mm -hmm. um, rigging armpits and crotches is actually surprisingly hard. Um, but I spent <laughs> most of my time up in an armpit or up in a crotch. That's what that, I was doing all day. That should probably be a T-shirt as well. Rigging crotches be. and armpits is <laughs> tough. Yeah. <laughs> it is tough. Mm -hmm. It was a hard life. Yeah. Um, but then, um, and and I ended as an executive producer, project lead, running mm -hmm. um, this massive game development, um, but burning myself to a crisp because it was very demanding. I mean, and this this isn't because like the the studio is so demanding, but this the the project. Things of uh, itself because mm -hmm. the way that games work is you know when oh. sorry that pause oh, just for a second my apologies <laughs> we, yeah sorry about that um, you were saying that there, it was um, incredibly difficult but it was it was more about just the state of the game and the industry right I mean what happens with video games is that you um, uh, so as you're coming up to the close of the game you have to book all of your media advertising and so on and now print media if you mm. want to be on the front cover of a, a pc mag for instance you have to book that nine months in advance so what you do is you go yeah we're pretty much done in nine mm -hmm. months time i reckon we'll be released let's book it so you pay your tens of thousands of dollars for this advertising these advertising slots mm. and then the drivers change and window has, has an update and steam has an update and mm. then everything breaks and then you're on fire and then everything's on fire and then you're, you're working yeah, you're, you're cycling yeah. through hell on your fire mobile and your 16-hour days sleeping yeah. under your desk. Crunch time. Months. Crunch. I've I've only heard stories, but crunch time it, up to production is hell. I have heard people use it as a badge of honor when I've spoken to friends in the Silicon Valley area, yeah. and it's not. 
it is the shittiest thing you'll have to go through. I couldn't, like, just to put it into context, I was working 12 or 13 hour days, but having to commute for three, four hours. Yeah, that's right. Because I was, no, which, that's bad. And then, so I would get home and I would just have enough time to literally get undressed and sleep and get back up and leave. Uh, sometimes if I was lucky, I'd have a shower, mm-hmm. um, eat in the car on the way there and back. Right. Um, it, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't even, you couldn't function as a human being. You know, people say, oh, I've got two, three full-time jobs. I'm like, how? Because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go to the grocery mm. store or a supermarket and buy any groceries. I couldn't, um, I couldn't wash my own clothes. I had to have a, a maid, a cleaning service, come in and do all these basic things because I physically couldn't. There was no, no there was, yeah, I would be conscious in my house for about 10 to 15 minutes and that would be mostly getting changed and getting redressed, There's which is a, crazy. Yeah, there's a, it's, and it's been maybe for the last, the last 10 years or so that uh, the idea that if you're not, giving 110% if you're not a bit busy all the time in your job and constantly grinding that you're not putting in enough effort but especially in the the games industry you're just burning out your devs you're burning out everybody in the organizations and is it is it going to change cap um in, in some ways, I reckon that it was also in part my own inexperience that created mm. those situations um, because, you know, I was the one that made the call to book, <laughs> book the marketing stuff, but within my self, self-isolation sure. for all those sure. all those years of mm-hmm. not working very hard. <laughs> Just make up for it. <laughs> those end. DJ years, right. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, um, the industry itself is very boom and bust. And that's because, I mean, and that's just the nature of the beast. I don't think that anyone particularly aimed for it to turn out like that, but mm-hmm. it's just the, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't understand, but video games industry is larger than the music industry and the Hollywood film industry and potentially the Bollywood music and uh, film mm-hmm. music industry together combined. And then a, a sizable chunk over that as well. Yeah. So, the industry itself is massive. The games that people are working on, you know, you, people think, oh, like how much can a game cost to make? You know, it's multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars. And there needs to be a um, return. Right. It's mm. a lot of pressure. Mm. And uh, one that taught me many great lessons, but one I would never, ever go back to. Mm-hmm. Um because I really value my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to throw it to your current endeavor. Compared to the stress of crunch time, which can be an ever-rolling thing if deadlines keep getting shifted, uh, I actually came across your artwork in my Twitter feed of amazing artworks of constellations, especially stuff that, oh, that glows in the dark. Okay, that's really, really cool. Yeah, I could totally see that hanging on a wall. I would yeah. imagine that while it's while you're now turning this into your business, and I'd like you to tell me more about that that decision, that this yeah. is probably more therapeutic and almost like a like a mantra, being able to just lose yourself into into a piece that doesn't have this almighty pressure on you to get this out by 9 a.m. tomorrow. Would that be correct? 
Kinda. I'm totally wrong. (laughs) That's fine. Um, What it is is that now Mm. I feel like I work work with purpose. Ah. And that makes all of the difference. You know, when I was in Mm. video games, don't get me wrong, I, as a young person, I thought it was the best thing ever. I was like, I work in video games. That's freaking cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it was. Right. But I didn't feel like I had, my life had purpose. I, you know, towards the end, I realized that I was just making things that, albeit enjoyable, are basically distracting people from potentially achieving uh, and doing good things with their lives. And I understand the need for decompressing. I understand the need to enjoyment and entertain. And like, don't get me wrong, I worked in the industry for a decade. I know it better than anyone else. But we have to also admit that, um, you know, while people could be self-bettering, that we can lose ourselves in video games. Not always, sure. but let's let's be honest. When we build video games, that's what we're trying to do. We're literally looking and pouring over statistics and analytics, like how can we get people to play for longer? Mm-hmm. How do we get people to return? We are tweaking psychological effects of games. Like every single game does it. When you have yeah. worked in the games industry, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It does sound very Machiavellian when it's explained. It, I mean, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. You've got to be able to pay for the development. So it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just the you it's know the nature of the beast. Have, yeah. So, um, I, and it's not done necessarily with bad intentions. It's just like we want to make something really cool, but we kind of have to pay for it, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Um, but ultimately, I don't think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. A little bit in doses. I think anything is. Um, but yeah, I, I just basically didn't feel like I was connected. I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Mm. I'm like, why am I here? What is this? What does this all mean? I'm burnt to a crisp. I don't, I just don't know. Um, what was the catalyst? So it, it's often when, when you feel, when you're in these situations, when you're in a work environment and there's constant stresses, stresses and you're asking those questions, why am I doing this? Where I'm losing my days. I'm not having any spare time, but it comes I, to a catalyst that makes you go, now I've had enough. What was the catalyst for you? I think they said, oh, right, okay, so we finished Steam development, right, straight into mobile. <laughs> oh. No. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that was probably the, the moment right. my soul cracked. No, I, I'd had enough way before then. Sure. I think it was probably the night where I had to sleep under my desk and just doing all these really late nights. And I was just like, you know, and I, like – I don't want to sound spoiled because it was a great privilege to be able to mm-hmm. do these things. And it certainly isn't, you know, this was a, was not games workshop producing it. All their games are made by third parties. Um, and this isn't because the, the establishment itself was bad. It's just that that is how unfortunately games work because we are doing the impossible whilst up against a deadline. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that ends up happening. So right. I, I was, I, I was very much, fed up and and exhausted and I wasn't eating right I wasn't sleep it's paused you at an inopportune point I don't know if you can hear me sleeping properly there we go got you back I can still hear you okay there you go I am actually recording all my audio separately okay the first five minutes gotcha well I have I so we're doing the video recording um my sound guy is actually in St. Petersburg. 
He's oh, okay. over. He's been on. He's been studying documentary filmmaking for like four oh. years in Russia. So That's my. So, cool. so I'm recording on my digital recorder. Nice. And recording on Zoom. So I upload all of it to him and just go, please do whatever esoteric dark arts you do to make this sound possible. Um, so if you want, I can share all of these files with you as well. Yeah, well, that's mm -hmm. fine. I'll, I'll just leave it to you, but I will send you my video recording. Oh, awesome. Anyways, okay, cool. Uh, my, my audio recording so that you've sure. got high quality audio. Sure. So where was I? Ah, right. So um, I think the bit that really broke me was, you know, that intense period of work. And this was three months of seven days a week, Mm. 12 to 14 hours away from home, um, exhausted and unable to eat, sleep, function as a human. Like it, trying having mm. a relationship with someone um, yeah. when you are only are consciously awake in a house for 10 minutes a day. And it's like, oh, hi, you live here. See ya. <laughs> I'll see you in three months' time. Yeah. Once right. crunch is done, yeah. And, um, you know, so it's ruining my relationship as well. I, I mean, like I – if you had kids, like, which I was lucky I didn't at the time, I don't have that any now either, but you know, like you wouldn't see your kids and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, just, it, they say that, you know, game development is a young person's game. And, and I think that's it because it, it is very demanding. It's mm -hmm. the most, uh, this is the thing that I find interesting about video games is it is the most technically demanding um, of all code um, in existence, Probably with the exception of the Large Hadron Collider, I'll give them that. Sure, but for Dude, like just a nod. yeah. But for like consumer use, um, mm. you know, the majority of tech, all the tech, everything is literally made for video games. The, in fact, actually, I would probably argue that some of the tech that was developed, like some of the neural processing bases that was that is formed in graphics cards. Um, for video games is now used in science applications mm. because it, we're always trying to get the best. Yeah, I, as I was, um, it was a couple of years ago, but I read a story that um, the graphics cards designed for gaming were the ones that they were actually using in Hubble because right. it we needed that tech, we needed the best possible tech for rendering. We've got to go for gaming gear because that's what it's that's what it's geared for. Absolutely. Those GPUs mm. are absolutely incredible in their architecture. And, mm -hmm. you know, even down to like, you know, uh, Bitcoin mining, all of that stuff mm -hmm. is done on, you know, yeah. um, a lot of pro hardcore processing for scientific data, all done mm. with stuff that was developed for video games. Right. So I'm not going to pretend like video games have had a great impact on society in many mm. ways. And it's because we always, we want to like outdo you have to, you have to like outdo. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to squeeze the last drop of whatever. So you have to make mm -hmm. incredibly efficient code. Yes. You have to make incredibly efficient models. You have to mm -hmm. use it in weird and wacky ways. Kind of like a, put a bandaid on it. Everything's held together right. with gaff tape. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. So I had a big nervous breakdown and I know that mm. sounds terrible, but best thing ever happened absolutely best thing that ever happened to me because mm -hmm. I couldn't go back. I remember having this moment thinking like, I've got to quit and have my notice in, but, and 
in true geeky me, I was like, how do I do this? I, I had to listen to a podcast explaining how to hand notes. <laughs> Just I thought I'd learn, learn to do it properly. <laughs> Manager tools, by the way, if you're ever wondering. Oh. Great podcast on how, <laughs> Let's to, give them a how to resign. <laughs> how to resign. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not you. It's me. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> so I have to go. Whoa. I'm not sure how I got here, but this is a really cool podcast. Well, while I'm here, I guess I'll introduce myself. I am the Incredible Jeff, the host of Fueled by Deathcast, the weekly podcast from the Deathwish Coffee Company. Each week, I get to talk with a special guest from rock stars to astronauts about what they do and what fuels their passion, because we're all fueled by death. We want to leave this world a little different before we inevitably leave it for good. Follow Fueled by Deathcast on all social media and subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or the Deathwish Coffee Company YouTube page. But for now, let's finish this awesome podcast. Uh, I couldn't take mobile. Mm. Hell no. So, right. um, but what um, what that did was, and I remember having this moment of I have literally dedicated a decade of my life to building a career in video games. I've gone from the very bottom to the mm-hmm. very top. I am definitely still miserable. And now I can't function as a human being because it's too stressful. And I will not right. put myself through that again. Sure. No way. And, and I'm sure that part of the situation was a product of me not being super, super experienced in those roles. But that's just, you know, that's fine. Okay. Um, uh, so I knew I couldn't go back into it because I didn't want to, like I couldn't, anything, I'd be overqualified for any other lower level and that's just the right. challenge. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I actually ended up starting a company with uh, the lady that was cleaning my house where we started a cleaning company. So I was scrubbing people's toilets because I literally had no idea what to do with my life. Right. Okay. About about as lost as you could be. I knew it was entrepreneurial, um, but I didn't know I like and around that time so I quit my job about in November I was still kind of doing some side support for them in the handover because it's such a big role it doesn't yeah. you can't hand it over in two weeks <laughs> because you know there's so much proprietary knowledge you know that you have to share so about right. December is when I really uh, closed the doors on that and um, I watched an amazing TED talk as you do when you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your life sure. <laughs> And it was called Draw Your Future by Patty Dabrowski, which I always talk about. And it's such a life-changing one. And basically, you draw a crappy stick figure of where you are and a crappy stick figure of where you want to be. And I'd been earlier, like like a month or so earlier, I'd gone to Peru and done the whole ayahuasca retreats. And mm-hmm. I saw an amazing uh, lady artist there. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I had this flashback to this moment of that, you know, that severed head. <laughs> And this highly shaded guy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, you know, I would love to be an artist too. So mm-hmm. am I a little draw your future thing? I drew a little stick figure. of. Well, I was going to have a stick figure of me, like having an exhibition. But I thought, slow down, cat. You actually don't know how to paint. Um, <laughs> and look, the, the stick figure was an artist and it was impeccably shaded. But... Uh, it was not. It was a, a, a scrawly, shitty drawing. And I thought, I thought this might be a sign. Uh-huh. Um, so instead, I drew a picture of me painting. And it was a picture of me standing 
next to it, almost a canvas, almost identical to this, sure. uh, you know, with big explosions and whatever coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, right. So then I set up a, a little tiny corner of my house. Um, and I mean, like, it was a cheap setup. It was probably like $10 or something. It's like a $1 drop sheet or, you know, $5 pack of paint, Mm -hmm. some house painting brushes, some cheap, cheap, cheap canvases, whatever you find. And I did some paintings. And the first thing I painted was, um, (laughs) I actually have it here, but it's it's like like a a rainbow burst coming out from behind some clouds. All right. Was it and, uh, was that a, uh, a deliberate choice, or it was just I'm going to paint something and uh, as it comes to me, this is what's going to come out? I just sort of painted something that I was really interested in, and I think during the ayahuasca retreats, I had lots of very cosmic visions, and I I had felt very very deeply connected to the universe, mm-hmm. and in a way that I couldn't really tell people. So I thought, well, I'll just try and explain it in some some paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and I just basically did a little bit of painting, I would say like three, four hours every weekend for about eight months. Okay. And about four months in, everyone said, you know, could you just make a bloody Facebook page? <laughs> <We're afraid laughs> go with your bloody drawings on Facebook, you know, just put them all in one bloody place. Uh-huh. So I did that. And the page grew to like several thousand. And um, I was amazing. Like in such a sweet, I mean, admittedly at this point I'd been DJing for a long time. So mm. I had some sort of semblance of like people knew who I was, right? Um, but not for art, just for music. And my DJ oh. name was Hard Kitty, which is a terrible name. That's a, that is a great nineties <laughs> DJ name, DJ Hard Kitty. Oh, that's right, great. exactly. Please that tell is, me that there's still like a MySpace page up for DJ Hard Kitty. You need a no, retro page. I do. I'm yeah. quite glad that MySpace nuked all of its users. Thank God, because oh, cringe. <laughs> no, no, there's there's not enough animated GIF logos of dripping blood and sparkles. That's that's. I yeah. know, I know, mm-hmm. I miss the MySpace days. God, I remember, everyone was friends with Tom. <laughs> everyone was friends with Tom. Tom, Tom wouldn't, oh. and it was an insult. Tom wouldn't even have you as a friend. That that was a I know. insult. Yeah, you're. So the, we've started with a few hours every weekend, and then you're just after four to five months, you've started building a following. W- apart from constellations and astronomy, is there anything else that you're doing, or is that what you're finding is your best channel for your artwork now? No, I'm just obsessed with space. So obsessed with space. Yep. So, um, and that's basically what I did. I I just was not literally nothing was of interest to me other than astronomy because right. for me, uh, I wanted to. Pay- oh. I'm sure it'll come back in just a second. Things that, that really had this deep, deep meaning. There we go. Got you back. You were looking so, to paint things so, with deep meaning. Yeah. So for me, I wanted to paint these things with deep, deep meaning because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no way of looking up at the stars on a really clear night and thinking like, oh, shit, you know, left the oven on. Um, especially when you can see the full expanse of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Instead, we ask, we ask these deep questions like, you know, why am I here? What does it mean? Mm. You know, it's so bloody big. How can we even be in existence? Why is anything existing? Why, what happened before the big bang? You know, like, 
you you ask these questions when you presented with something so amazing mm -hmm. and that's why I wanted to paint it because I was not interested in painting stuff that was just do you know I mean like who cares about a bowl of fruit who <laughs> I'm sure there are people that do but why yeah. I mm -hmm. just don't get it Picasso's so, you fruit know. something like that yeah uh -huh. so, your, the the topics of your um, the subjects effectively of each of your paintings would then also have an amazing story around it, like some of the gas nebulas, that this thing is 200 light years across, that it actually has its own story behind it, that the representation of what you're putting out there is of this gargantuan thing, um, mm. which does convey the awesomeness of space. Yeah, because I think what's beautiful about space art is it sort of lures you in with like, oh, pretty pictures. And then like, uh -huh. bam, you're going to hit someone with some science. It's great. <laughs> Actually, I'll just turn my screen. You can see this one here. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. This is a cra the Crab Nebula. Um, yeah. It's got a, got a pulsar at the center of it. It's yeah. emitting a lot of energy and illuminating all of the stuff around it. Mm. Um, it is the, uh, it's just, well, it's a supernova remnant. It's yeah. basically the, the after aftermath of a, a, a cosmic tantrum of a star just a cosmic tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> a star chucking a tanty. That's that's great. I love that concept. It was totally. Um so you know, and I think that the more I have mm -hmm. delved into because like some of the times I'm staring at the same nebula for six months, I am looking at it in every tiny little detail to rep mm -hmm. like replicate it as accurately as possible. Sometimes I just make stuff up as well. Um, like behind me, uh, this one is the uh, the great galactic cosmic web. So if you if yes. you were to if you were to zoom out far enough, it will eventually be in color. Sure. Um, when you if you if you zoom out far enough, you would see that all of the different galaxies would coalesce into somewhat of filament-like structures mm. and create this almost web-like. And and it's interesting that when they did the data processing of these things that. You know, the cosmic web looked almost like brain neurons. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and it's, I love nature, how it has these repeating patterns, whether it's mm -hmm. at, a, at the biggest cosmic scale to these tiny, tiny little nanometer sized structures. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Fractals up and down. That's all it is. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> how uh, to talk, we have, we have people listening that, uh, uh, creators that is true. themselves. We're, we're in the middle, going. What the, <laughs> the the people who listen to the podcast, they uh, uh, some of them are trying to do their own thing, get out there, being yeah. creators in their own way. So I would like to touch on, if I may, uh, the the business aspects of what you've decided to do, because there's always the, the, that trope of the struggling artist that you've made something amazing, but I live on two minute noodles. How right. doing this shift, you've come from a successful career. You've got um, recognition from your, from your DJ Hard Kitty past. How, <laughs> what did you, what were you thinking as far as the business model? Were you not thinking? Were you thinking that that would come? How did that develop? Well, it all started with one night when I once I decided to get all my friends drunk. And um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so it's how almost all my stories start. <laughs> so um, I'd been painting for, you know, uh, four or five months at this point, mm -hmm. made the Facebook page. It was growing. And right. uh, one, of my friend, one of my friends said, hey, you should have an exhibition. And I was like, I was going to 
right? I was like, I was going to write that on my thing at the beginning of the year. And my, right. that was my New Year's resolution, right? Sure. Or would have been. Uh, and I thought, excellent, let's do this. But at the time, I was obviously eight months out of a high-paying high executive job. I was also getting married at the time, uh, which is also like this happiest day of your life. Give me all your money. Uh, I'm now separated. So it's been a been I was going to say journey. congratulations, but maybe <laughs> that's all right. I'm just going to shut my face. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a it's we're all very happy. It was okay. it was a, it was a good it was a good it was about as good a breakup as you can get. I suppose sure. it was. It was uh, good. Anyway, so um, we'd, I was like, right, let's do this. But then I was like, how am I going to afford this? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll run a Kickstarter. I'd seen them online and mm-hmm. I l- love buying gadgets and stuff. And I thought, well, the barrier to entry was all I needed to raise was $4,000. And if mm-hmm. I don't, the worst thing that could happen is my mates are sober. So I thought, well that's uh that's that sounds like it that doesn't sound like it's got that much downturn because sure. i think sometimes we like we think oh you know can't do this what if i fail you know it yeah. looks silly but for me i was like well i'd already had a nervous breakdown and lost everything so like what was the worst that was gonna happen it does help with the reframing <laughs> yeah so so there i was i thought fill a room with alcohol and space and maybe get someone to talk about space and we'll get drunk and we'll talk about space that was the simple premise um, hmm. and I thought right we'll raise four thousand dollars make a room do all that fantastic let's do it yeah. um so anyway I was sick on that day that I launched that kickstarter campaign because I thought no one never sold a piece of artwork no mm. one's gonna want anything this is ridiculous but strangely by being in the video games industry I'd learned to uh pre-launch I'd learned to launch a video game take it through all the way through through development and through you know the you know looking after consumers and community management and stuff like that so I kind of had a good spectrum of understanding but I didn't understand at the time how relevant that knowledge would be right until I launched until I launched the kickstarter and we hit that four thousand dollars in eight hours and I was like huh we we got 30 days we've got 30 days left and I've made no contingency (laughs) I I, I was no stretch goals I'm no stretch goal. Didn't know what a bloody did not know what a stretch goal was. I was googling like, what do you do after you hit the target? Um, um, and then yeah, it just kept on wow. going up and up and up. Uh, you know, I live on a cul-de-sac. Everyone in that street knows that. Uh, you know, they, everyone knows each other. You're only in the street if you're meant to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And they were placing bets, and we're like, all right, I think it's going to end at twenty. And then the next one was like, no, thirty, no, forty. No, 50. Of 50 of, of 4,000, wow. It ended up at $70,000. Holy crap. And I had this moment where I was like, I had been so lost up to this point. I thought I've ruined my life. I, I'm not fit for games. I didn't know what to do with myself. And all of a sudden I was like, I have a job. And it's something wow. that actually deep down I've always wanted to do. But was too scared because I didn't want to be a failure. I was my whole like, coming to I'm like, come into Jesus moment. I was like, so, oh. so what do I do with all this extra money? I guess we upgrade the grog. <laughs> we had a damn good party, I tell you. <laughs> it was amazing. Wow. So were there you now, know, from from your first gallery opening, 
Did you sell any pieces? I mean, basically everything was already sold because oh, it right. sold mm-hmm. through the Kickstarter, but there was sure. one or two, and we did sell a few items in that, which is, is amazing, right? Because back then, you know, my pieces were like probably $2,500, which I mm-hmm. thought was very expensive for a painting. Mm-hmm. Now my pieces sell for like twenty-five to fifty, And those people have artworks that are so valuable now. They, it's like, it's the interesting thing that as I grow as an artist, yes. um, like the people, the, per- the items that people purchase, they go up in value. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. I had someone resell a $1,000 piece for $8,000. And I was like, good on you. Wow. That was a great investment. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you work with, um, uh, so if somebody wanting, wanting to work with you on a piece, wanting to work with you on a commission, do you discuss the piece with them or do you just say you're in line and I will come out with something and then you will, you will buy that thing or is there, what's the consultative process like? It's actually great. So um, I, almost all the paintings I do are commissions and Mm. the way that I do it is you have to, people like basically I just put up a a notice to say, Hey, I'm taking commissions. Right. Uh, For for mine at the moment, they're like $4.50 per square inch. Super easy you can work out how big you want to fit your own budget mm-hmm. and um what people do is they message me and my team sends them some information and then um out of let's say the 100 people that will apply i might interview maybe 25 30 people okay and to that to that interview they'll bring uh some google images of things that they like Mm-hmm. and some other ideas and we'll sit and we'll discuss their ideas mm-hmm. and some people will literally just be like just do whatever and I don't like that because I yeah. feel like it needs to be a full collaborative yeah. thing so and sometimes people will come to me and say hey I really want this particular nebula but kind of want it like this and we'll mm-hmm. actually go out and we will I'll, I'll, I operate telescopes uh, right. and so we'll actually go out and shoot uh, there's a few test telescopes I use that are operated by OPT Mm-hmm. Uh, in the wow. desert in, in California, then we go out and we'll, well, we'll zoom in at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> but if I, if we weren't in lockdown, we'd, we'd go out there and, uh, or at least they would come with me virtually, but I might be there in person and we would shoot space. And if we would I may, actually... if I may clarify, just to make sure I understand, you left the games industry, you become an artist, yeah. your Kickstarter blows it out of the park, you've found this process, you've got customers who want your work, and now you're at a point where you get to play with telescopes to find the images that you want, and you're liaising with astronomy teams to say, please point that gigantic machine at this part of space because I need images. Cat... This is ridiculous. This is great. They let me operate the telescope, thankfully. Um, but we're almost what? always drunk because we always drink scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I feel this like is this amazing. is amazing. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, they've got it. We're going to have to come back because I was drunk on scotch and the photo's blurry because I shook <laughs> the telescope. They're on. They're on. Uh, they're on very, they're on very big yep. con- yep. concrete pillars, and we're sure. on, we're on like cushion floor. The, the observatories they have there are just amazing because you know they've got like they've got like beer fridge. They're they're like executive telescopes. It's not like anything you'd ever see. Yeah. It's like the coolest. It's like the coolest place Bloody on earth. Hell. 
Uh, and it's all run by OPT and you can actually, mm. they do live streams from there and you can actually log oh, wow. in and, and occasionally they'll let you use their telescopes. They'll let you, you get to point it at something. Wow. Yeah, and they will This is amazing. The they are amazing. They are the world's biggest telescope. Oh, uh, I need to speak to these people. That That's I a need cool story. Yeah. So, um, so people will come to me with their different options. And of those, let's say, 30 people or 25 people, I will only pick six people to work with. So I will print out all the ideas, lay them out, and I will sure. make my selection for that year. And of course, it comes with some joy for the people that do get in. And then it, it comes with some sadness for the people that I say, I can't, can't take you on this year. And I would do more, but because I want to make these very, very highly detailed images, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm working on a piece for six months. I'll work on multiple canvases, sure, but right. I only have so much, so much time in the day. Yeah. Um, and in the backgrounds, I'm also running a development team. Um, we make very unique prints. So all our prints glow in the dark, but you might not be aware that you can't get that done anywhere. Like we, we invented sure. our own technology to do it. So I remember I went for a meeting with, um, I went to a, for a meeting with some guys at HP mm -hmm. and I said, Hey, can you do this? And they were like, no, nah, it's not possible. Um, so then I, which is a terrible thing to tell me because I'm just like, I'm going to do it. Right. <laughs> Watch me. So then we went back and we showed them the prints. Uh, I, actually, it's the funniest thing ever. All my whole life is like this. Uh, there was the darkest place in the office was the toilet. So I took them all into the toilet <laughs> with a UV torch <laughs> to show uh -huh. them what we built. And they were like, this is amazing. Will you fly to Israel to talk to our um, development team there? And I was, I, I sort of fobbed it off a little bit because I obviously want to get a patent on it first. <laughs> sure. How, I, I just think that was quickly. This the time frame from um, the cleaning company right. to now. How long has this been? So I've been painting for four and a half years. Four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So the Kickstarter came in the first eight months, and then um, yeah, like after I did that first Kickstarter, I I I didn't. I thought that was a fluke because, like, seriously, who does that? So I mm -hmm. actually went and I was waiting on tables for less than minimum wage. At an Indian restaurant, which was very nice. The owners are lovely, but I stunk so bad of curry all the time. <laughs> I was just, it was like a. You don't want to see another raisin. naan in your life. Oh, I love their food, though. It was so yeah. good. And Joe, you know it's good because when it's like super, super fresh, oh, yeah. it's so good. But yeah. yeah, like I was just like a walking Jalfrezi. I was just like, oh, cat's coming. <laughs> this is, this is, in, this is incredible that you've. The stuff that you now get to play with, the stuff that you now get to do, I know. and you get to pick. It's it's um it's one thing that I've uh, I've always aspired to from from the other businesses that I'm involved in that you want to get to the point where you can choose the customers you work with that you don't have to take something because you need the money because that cash flow is required that you can say you know what. Yeah, that one's that one's not for me. Best of luck to you, and you can go and work with somebody over there. Six pieces a year plus all of your other developmental work, but it's bringing you more joy than anything else ever could. It's awesome. I mean, I now have a team of nine. Uh, no, that's a lie. I have a, a team of eight, but that does include me, yeah. I was going to say so. that I was going to make the joke that, you know what, I've got a team. I don't know how many. They're there. <laughs> 
Stuff gets done. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they're fed. Somebody feeds them. They're there. Somebody yeah. feeds them. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this great team uh, that I run because so now, you know, I because I, what I like to do is create really revolutionary developmental technologies for mm-hmm. printing and for communicating science. Like, because I have this theory, right? Glow in the dark is fucking cool. Sorry, I'm not my last swear. Anyway, it is. Fuck yeah, that's fine. Um, so to, uh, to clarify, we have a we have a rating system for the okay. podcast. So we will preface up front, it's either completely salt-free, slightly salty, goes well with chips, all the way up to <laughs> Hello Sailor. So all right. <laughs> you can go for it, but it's, that's up to you. We've had some comedians hit it in the first three minutes. Right. I have been trying to hold it back because I normally I'm normally a hello sailor kind of person. <laughs> if you're if if you're effusive and that's your energy, <laughs> then this is what we're doing. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, glow in the dark is fucking cool. I don't care what anyone says. And why is that shit only for kids? What is that about? Because deep down is it in a child in all of us that whenever we see something glow in the dark, we're like, oh, it's amazing. I, yeah. this is, absolutely. I, I love, and it doesn't matter how old you are. The moment right. the moment the light goes off and you see this thing glowing, the geek in all of us just goes, ooh. <gasps> ooh. It, now, the thing could suck. <laughs> the thing could blow right. chunks so badly. Right. But the moment you see it, it's like, oh, uh, and that, then you get, ah. then the analysis kicks in. Right. Mm-hmm. So I make glow in the dark for adults, and this mm-hmm. year we've made ceiling murals. You know, you yes. get like glow in the dark ceiling scars, but like mm-hmm. a scientifically accurate Milky Way. <laughs> oh man! Printed in multiple colors of glow, and so good, super super great resolution detail. It's amazing, and it's Fantastic. on a transparent. It's like on a, a see-through clear material. So you, right. The idea is that you're not meant to really see it much. You you kind of can, but it's on a sure. matte material. You want it to blend in as much as possible. You just want to see it at night, and oh, two thumbs up from me. It's great. <laughs> this is, um, this but, is amazing. But to get there, we had to set up uh, production pipelines in five countries. We've had five different, five different pipeline, uh, four different pipelines fall over, and we've got we're onto our last, and we have a, a, a sixth just in case. Um, Redundancies. You, know. you are you are a former computer employee, computer game employee. <laughs> we need the redundancies. Where's where's the uh, the emergency supply coming from? Wow. Right. So, and that's not even the coolest thing that we're doing, and um, because all of this is for a bigger purpose. Are you going to fall off your seat when you hear what we're building? <laughs> so all of this is actually just to fund the big one of the bigger projects which is we're building a chandelier but it's the milky way galaxy in a chandelier but it's eight meters in diameter or 26 feet <laughs> and it's you and it's using real data from the european space agency's gaia mission so they have got this uh, satellite probe that's going around in low Earth orbit, and it does this single parallax mapping, right? Mm. You know where you stick your finger out for yep. you and close one yep. eye, right? And you see your finger move relative to the background. Yeah, it does that, but with all the stars in the in the sky, um, and it is plotting the relative three D positions. Uh, so it's the first data release was one point eight billion star positions. They've just done a new data release, which I haven't looked at in detail yet. 
but we are, I mean, I've been talking to the European Space Agency and they were like, we can't fund it. And I was like, I'll fund it. And they were like, great, we'll give you some scientists to work on this. And they said- You huge nerd. This is great. (laughs) It's so much fun. And so we are- This um, is, where is that, where is it going to be, where is it going to be put? This is the best part. I don't actually know. I just know I wanted to build it. So, um, and I know that you can't, there's no way of building something like this and it not going somewhere important. Um, my, my mission really is to get a billion minds looking up to the skies. And if I can't clear light pollution, I'm going to bring the, the, the stars to people instead. Um, so, uh, but I figured, right, that if we're going to build something like this, we should have some fun. So my plan is build it, feature it in a music video, feature it in a feature film, and then put it, give, I'm going to donate it for free. It will cost about a quarter of a million dollars in development. Uh, for materials and manufacturing uh, which, that I've already which you and your group are funding right so I'm funding that with my spare surplus money from the sales of my glow and dark ceiling stars so whenever people that that put in uh, funds to the Kickstarter projects they get their name put on a plaque that goes along with these things is this um, Kickstarter currently live um, there's one going to be at the end of the year uh, okay so it's, this is such a massive project that I just knew that I would have to fund it through multiple Kickstarters. Right. So um, I'm doing like different ones and each time a chunk of the money then goes towards it. Sure. Um, because yeah, just just a casual quarter this million. Is, <laughs> yeah, an easy, <laughs> easy quarter bar. Nice. Uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, it, we're paused again, but we'll come back very shortly, I'm sure. Oh uh, yeah, I just spare change of lesson. He went... <laughs> <laughs> This, I, yeah, still, I'm, uh, I'm still stunned. To work out the, uh, yeah, so uh, unless there's any wealthy philanthropists listening that want to basically just be the only person on the name of the chandelier. Not my core but, audience, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. Wow, this is, this is ridiculously cool. Well, that was just one of the projects. Um, that's funding the next bigger project, which I'm sure you're going to love. Because um, I have a development pipeline that goes on ten years. That's about two and a half years in. So does this um, mean does this mean Kat that I'm gonna have to forward book my booking <laughs> for the <laughs> announcement interview nine months time? We're gonna. Right. Have, would you would you would you come back to tell us more cool stuff? I will absolutely tell you how we how we're tracking because this is a cool thing uh, at the moment. We're actually filming a documentary about the process that I actually had my first uh, my first interview film shoot was yesterday when we were going through it. Because awesome. um, I I have a habit of doing cool stuff. I, I'm not the, I'm not sure how much I'm meant to say, but I did paint for SpaceX, and but that's another sort of story. Well, it's a lot. I, I won't. I don't want to. I want to. Don't want to go down that path yet. Maybe uh-huh. we'll talk about it later. Um, but, um, so, you know Laser Quest? Yes. Right, so um, they've got that in now Brisbane, and, and I'm sure it's in London places. They've got mm. that basically with VR, VR helmets. Yeah. Right, it's freaking cool. Run around, yeah. shoot each other in VR. So I'm going to make a VR planetarium experience where you can go in with a group of friends and loads of people together and experience the sensation of walking on the moon and seeing the Earth rise. You know, what is it like to live on Mars? 
you know, have, because this is the beauty. And I come from a high-end video game background. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was built for this particular project. Right. And I, and the last game I worked at was also a, a high-end uh, VFX for film, like film mm -hmm. effects studio. So, um, and and my very first game is really all about special effects. So it's what I'm, it's what I specialize in. So we're making a very, 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 very high-end uh, uh, planetarium walkthrough show. Um, and the beauty of it is that you just need a room the same size, so you could literally have a marquee pop up in a, sh a bloody shopping centre or in a school or... Yeah, it's not space intensive at all. Uh, right, you could just basically yeah. pop it up anywhere and as long as you've got a, a few backpacks you can deploy it across the globe and really get people to be super, super, have this very, very visceral experience of being in space. Um, and I'm used to running big teams, like that last team that we ran was uh, hundreds of people were in my team making that video game. Hundreds. Uh, this across is, this studios. is ridiculous. It's so across cool. This is so cool. Sorry, I'm nerding out a bit. Um, it's the best. It's so um, much cool. Yeah, so cool. So, um, <sighs> yes. So that's what I actually want to fund. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know why. I get these very strong visions. I got the strong vision of, um, you know, of, of doing the chandelier. And, and this, for some reason, I've got this very strong vision of taking the executives at Google through it, having a pop-up in their car park. Don't understand why that vision is there for me, but we'll make it happen. We've got an 18-wheeler just dropping off a shipping container. You guys need to come down and check it out. Right. Mm. Amazing. Um, so that's basically what the the short-term roadmap is. That's probably mm. taken me up to about six, six seven years, I'd say. Um, the end, end goal is that I want to start lobbying government to change light pollution. Yes. Uh, so outdoor light settings, something we don't think about. Actually, this is something people don't think about. You're meant to see the stars at night. Uh, most people can't. Um, mm. That is something that people don't think about. Um, you know, and when I say you don't see the stars, if you can't see the Milky, out, Milky Way with your naked eye, which, no, it's not just a trick, of, a camera trick. You're meant to mm. be able to see it with your eyes. If you can't yeah. see that, you live in light pollution. Yeah. Um, and it's so normalized that you can't see the stars. You know, everyone goes outside and says, yeah, I've seen all 10 stars that are out. Oh, I know them all, right? <laughs> right. Oh, if you're in people in cities, I have no soul. idea. Mm. Yeah, um, we are losing the stars. And um, today, you know, most people can see less than 2% of the visible stars in the sky. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, Certainly adults, even adults today, but certainly children, future generations, um, they're going to uh, be born, live and die and have never seen the stars, which is, in my mind, utterly criminal. Um, That's sad. That would be a travesty. So that is my life's purpose, is really to help resolve that issue. Um, it's, and that's why I'm doing this every day. It is a it is a noble and an important one. Uh, I would I will keep tabs on the Twitter feeds. The moment <laughs> I hear even if I even sniff a potential announcement, can we have you come back to of talk course. about more, <laughs> to talk about more of these things? 
Um, we there are some amazing spots in South Africa. Um, yeah, you have amazing looks at the night sky. Uh, mm. We don't have your connections through to large radio telescopes to point them at the sky. But if you ever find your way here, I'm sure we can get you to uh, to some really good spots. But also, Oz has got some great spots. I mean, you've, yeah. you would have gone We're, out in the middle. Oh, it was great. So actually, one of my stories is from Uluru, which is the yeah. uh, big monolithic rock in the center of Australia, or mm-hmm. one of the very um, sacred indigenous areas. Um, um, and I remember I, we do this thing called like dining under the stars. They're all sitting around. And, um, you know, it's like outdoor, you know, buffet thing, it was terrible food. Um, <laughs> and uh, at one point they turn all the lights off and then all of a sudden you see all the stars. Now, naturally, I'm there with a the camera taking long, long exposure images mm-hmm. of the Milky Way because why wouldn't I be um, given, given portal zero skies or portal one? Um, so uh, light pollution is in bottles, yes. uh, usually ranging from one to nine, for people that don't know. Uh, nine is, oh God, it's so bright, I can't see the moon. And one is, there is no light pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so and this guy came over to me, this American guy sort of, uh, you know, plodded over to me and said, excuse me, ma'am, what, what is that? He was pointing at the Milky Way, never seen it. He was 70 something easily and i said that that's our galaxy because we we forget that mm. that strip in the sky isn't yes. just like oh it's just an arbitrary weird splatter that mm-hmm. that's a freaking galaxy really yeah. close to us we're mm-hmm. looking just looking at it side on yeah that is the milky way that is our home that is as much our address as our street or our suburb or our country this is our home and he was like huh uh, but I, I had that moment where I stood back yeah. and thought, wow, this is something that's happening to someone that's in their 70s. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, the majority of the worst light pollution has occurred in the last 50 years. Right. Um, and I was like, wow, this is happening to people, you know, you know a, a few years in my senior. Mm. Imagine what is going to be happening to people who are, you know, who are just being born or people yeah. that are in future generations. They are literally never going to see the stars. Damn. This this is a noble mission, and we will help in spreading the word however we can. Hey, Cat, this this has been fantastic. I am now uh, my nerd levels are um, have probably peaked. They've peaked multiple times right. during this chat. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, where where can people find you? Where can they find more information so that they can know that there's going to be an amazing Kickstarter coming that they can throw their money at? Where can we find you? Um, so uh, if you type in Catherine Machin, um, basically Catherine has no E's because uh, my mom thought it'd be great to spell it phonetically because she's also <laughs> dyslexic. Right. So now I spend my whole life explaining how to spell it. But Catherine uh-huh. with, with a C and no E's. Right. And then Machin is spelt like machine, also with no E on the end. <laughs> We're right. anti-E's, okay? No E's. Anti-E's. No, um, yeah. You're okay with the vowels, with the A's and the I's, whatever. Right. So, mm-hmm. Catherine Machin, if you just type it into Google, you'll literally find me. But I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram's probably my, my biggest channel. Sure. Um, uh, I have my little website, catmachin.com. Uh, so, yeah, go check it out. And... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, come say hi. It'd be cool Absolutely. to see you guys. 
That is awesome. And uh, next time I'm in the, uh, the Queensland neck of the woods, I will drop you all out. This is, yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been loads of fun. <laughs> Kappa, free! That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. Mm-hmm.